Have a seat. I knew uh, from an early age what I wanted to do and what I wanted my life to be defined by. I, I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be the best. And so my dream was to be a major league baseball player. Many of you guys in here would agree, understand that. For me, uh, I used to collect trading, uh, baseball trading cards, and I was dreaming of having my own trading card and then having kids come up and ask for my signature. I mean, it was this huge dream of mine to be this major league baseball player. Then I started playing, and I figured out pretty quickly, I don't think I'm going to make it there. Now, I was a Little League all-star, you know, of course, like every kid, right? Then I was a freshman at Perkins, and I played against who has become a very good friend of mine who ended up being a Major League Baseball player. And I remember going on the mound. He was a senior. I was a freshman, and I thought I had good stuff. I was ready to be propelled forward and be this varsity pitcher, and I threw a pitch to him, and he hit it so hard out of the park. I thought, I am in trouble. (laughs) So I played freshman and sophomore year. When I saw the writing in the walls, a junior in high school that would be relegated to the JV, I threw away my Major League Baseball aspirations, became a pastor, and quickly realized that pastors do not have trading cards, which is really devastating to me. But the other day I was playing, I was watching baseball with my son, and we were watching, and the commentator talked about this Major League Baseball player who signed a $300 million contract. Well, Hudson was kind of watching the game, but that $300 million, it clicked. He looked at me, and he's like, Dad, I want to be a Major League Baseball player. And I wanted to say to him, if you have the genes of your dad, you're going to be an okay JV baseball player, (laughs) but probably not a Major League Baseball player. It's funny, we, from an early age, we know what we want to do. We know we want to be successful. We know we want to be rich and famous and the best. We spend a lot of time working at how to get through school and getting into the right college, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm wondering, when is the last time we sat our kids down and talked to them about who they're becoming? When's the last time that we stopped and didn't define a good life or a successful life by what we have or what we do or where we live or how much money's in the bank account, but actually our character. Because who we are on the inside is coming out, whether we like it or not. And Jesus says, listen, if you're successful, if you have money and stuff, okay, that's fine, but let me tell you what defines a good life, the life that's worth living, is paying more attention about who you're becoming. And in our culture right now, it's time we shine a light on that. We need to work on a little bit more of who we're becoming. And Jesus, he talks about that in the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude is Latin and Greek for the word blessed. And he's saying if you want to live the blessed life, follow these eight commands. Follow these eight characteristics and you will live the life you've always wanted. So we're on week three. And let me tell you, this one is one of the hardest. So buckle up. Here's what Jesus says. He says, God blesses those who are meek or humble or gentle, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, meekness is probably not a characteristic you and I think about or or want often in our life. It's not one of those things that when we look at characteristics and we say, okay, humility, yeah, I want that, and goodness, and and all kindness. But when's the last time we said, I want to be meek? I think the reason we don't talk about meekness or understand meekness is because it's confusing. What is it? Well, meekness, it implies mercy. And it goes hand in hand with 
gentleness. It implies self-restraint and power under control. A lot of people think meekness is weakness, probably because it rhymes. <laughs> but more than that, it seems like, oh, I don't want to be meek. But let me tell you, the meekest people I know are far from the weakest. In fact, the meekest people I know are some of the strongest people that I look up to in my life. I like how Harvest Ministry puts it. They say this, a weak person can't do anything, but a meek person, on the other hand, can do something, but chooses not to. A great example of that meekness, which is power under control, is reigning in a stallion. A stallion is full of power, can go anywhere it wants, but it can be reined in with a bit and a bridle. The same thing is with us. We can rein those things in inside of us that could be out of control, that we could hurt somebody or do something we may not like, but we can be a person that lives a meek life, that's gentle, that's merciful, that uses its power for good and, and it's under control. My wife Paula, who's sitting in the front row here, we have an amazing marriage, but we can argue sometimes and be frustrated at each other. And there are times where if she says something that hurts me, I'm ready. I'm going into the holster. I'm ready to shoot. <laughs> and once in a while, somehow, by God's grace, he will get a hold of me and just say, be quiet. I could say something, <laughs> but I choose not to. That's what meekness is. And the person who lives this out to its fullest is Jesus. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, I love how it, displays what meekness is. If you want to see what power under control of actually can do something but they choose not to, it's Jesus. I mean, look at the path of meekness in Jesus. Excuse me. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. That's meekness. Instead, he gave up. That's meekness. His divine privileges. He took the humble position. That is meekness. The humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. That is meekness and died a criminal's death on a cross. Meekness is not what we can't do, but it's choosing what we won't do. Now, of course, you say Jesus. Of course, he can be meek. He's Jesus. What about you and me? When Jesus is quoting this about meekness is how we inherit the land he doesn't get this from thin air. He's actually quoting Psalm 3711. Jesus is quoting David and when he says, the lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. And in Psalm 37, David goes on to tell us how you and I can live the meek life, how we can be gentle, how we can be kind, how we can have that power, but we can rein it in and be under control. But I want to tell you, these four keys to meekness are very, very difficult. In fact, they get harder and harder and harder as they go. But the meek life is the good life. If you're looking to live the good life, if you want your life to matter, if you become meek, you will have the life that you've longed to live. People will look up to you. You will have an amazing relationship with Jesus. Meekness is not weakness. It's very much strength. Strength under control. So let me give you the four keys as they progressively get harder and harder to live the meek life from Psalm 37. Here's the first one. You commit everything you do to the Lord. 
Everything in your life, your relationships, your finances, your future, everything that you wrestle with in your daily life, those daily decisions that are either this way or that way, you're taking everything you have and you're plopping it on God's desk and then you walk away. You're saying, God, you can do these things better than me. I am insufficient to lead my life the way I ought to, but you are sufficient to do so. You have a plan. You know exactly where I'm supposed to go. And when I get into it and I start to control things, I mess it up pretty quickly. So I'm committing myself and everything that I am to you. And I'm going to walk away, shut the door to your office, and let you work. What if I told you that's the easiest of the four? <laughs> you see, you don't just commit. You don't just put everything on God's desk and walk away and shut the door. He asks us to do something with it. He asks us to trust him. That we will trust him and that he will help us. This is the hard work. It's literally putting, on God, uh, putting everything on God's desk, walking away, shutting the door, and letting him lock it from the inside. But when we choose not to trust him, what we do is we put it on God's desk and then we kick the door back open and then we take the things off God's desk that are out of control or that we want to have in our control and we don't truly trust him. You see, trust is an everything word. It's an all-in word. You can't say you trust God and then trust yourself. They don't go together. When we trust God and we trust ourselves, what we are saying is we trust ourselves. But when we trust God, we put our whole confidence in him and we let him work because we know he has a plan for us and that he loves us and that good is in store for us. Even in the midst of suffering and pain, he uses that to sharpen us and to make us more like Jesus. We can trust him to let him do his work. If I'm completely transparent with you for a moment, trusting God right now is one of the hardest things that I've ever had to personally do. Many of you as well. I don't know if you know this, we live in the midst of a pandemic. I just want to tell you if you don't know that yet. What I've realized is this. People right now are not living and acting meekly. There's a lot of things going on in people's lives. And I think what's been the hardest part for me is seeing what happens in the church. People that you've done their weddings and participated in their family's funerals and are there in their hard times and are rejoicing in their good times and you've had this relational equity that you've built up and in one thing, whether it's a mask thing or, or this thing or this decision, they all cash in the equity and they walk away. I'm just stunned by it. Someone, once, someone told me a few weeks ago, Eric, I would not envy you to be in your position. I said, why is that? He said, the decisions you have to make. I go, oh, no, 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 decisions are hard. People's responses to them that are. For me, I want to trust God and I want to put it on his desk. But then when people respond in the way I don't like or they take shots at, at Todd and me or the other pastors, I just want to go into God's office and say, hey, are you at work? What are you doing? And take it off his desk. But that's not trust. Even when people act the way they do. Even the way I act. And when people respond and the world goes in this direction, we have to leave it on his desk. Oh, by the way, I'm a school board member for Perkins Schools, too. <laughs> Do you guys know there's some disagreement if people should go back to schools or not right now? 
I'm brokenhearted that some of my own friends and some of my people, even in the chapel, some of the emails that are leveled at our superintendent that he passes on to us for transparency with the board, some of those things I read and I go, what in the world? Christ followers, we have a chance to be more meek than we've ever had before and to commit ourselves and trust him and to be a light more than we've ever had, I would argue, in history, at least in American history when it comes to the church. And we're throwing it away because of opinions and preferences. And what we need to do instead is to commit ourselves to the Lord and trust him even if we don't like the outcomes because we know that he has a plan for us and he's working it for our good. The next key is even harder than that. I know, it gets harder. You commit yourself, you trust him, and then you be still. The presence of the Lord and you wait patiently for him to act. Anyone really good at patience in here? I am not. You see, patience and waiting for the Lord is not laziness. It's not just laying around and letting God move. It's moving but without frenzy. There's a steadiness to you. Even when the world is on fire, you aren't. You know that the Lord is dealing with those fires in the way that he is going to choose to do that. There's a calmness. There's a steadiness. When the world's out of control, you don't have to be. That's a characteristic of meekness. You know anybody like that? First person that comes to my mind is Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave has served as a pastor at the chapel for 17, 18 years, retired last year and still serves, has, comes to our church still. And he's one of those guys where, like, I look around and people are falling apart. And I'm, like, waiting for Dave just to fall apart too. And he just sits there with a smile on his face. I said, how does he do that? There's been so many times where I'm just freaking out and he's steady. Now, he could be freaking out on the inside. He could be worried. He, but let me tell you, he has a, he's committed himself to the Lord. And he's trusting him and he's able to walk around with peace and a steadiness and a calmness to him. When the world's falling apart, he knows that his God isn't, that he is in his, in his office working diligently for our good and for his glory. Meekness is committing yourself to him it's trusting him and all we want to do is take it off God's desk and deal with it ourselves and it's being steady and patient and waiting for him to work according to his plan. Then it gets harder. But it's the last step, so that's at least good. He finally says, commit, trust, be patient, and don't worry. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes and stop being angry. This pandemic is not causing people to act in anger or fear. It's revealing it. The anger and the fear has always been there. We've been able to manage it. We've been able to go to other things in order to control it. But now all of those things have been kicked out from underneath of us. All we have is either to commit ourselves to the Lord and trust him, and be patient. And then when we feel like worrying or anger, we can go back to step one. 
And then we commit it and we trust and we wait. And then when we want to just get angry and worry and fear, we go back to step one and we repeat the steps over and over and over till the Lord begins to make our hearts pliable to him and infuses weakness into our, or meekness into our character. You and I can be angry and worry, but for what? Is it going to change anything? Come on. Let's let God do the changing and let's trust him with the results. Because the greatest thing is, it's not just a call from God. He actually promises us something. If we live out this meekness, he promises to give us the whole earth. We will inherit the land. What does that mean? Well, it's a twofold promise. One that starts here and then one that will end in glory. The first, Paul tells us, is no one boast of men for all things, all things are yours. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. When we become uh, Christians, we become heirs to the throne. Everything that is Jesus is ours. And guess what? The way we live now, we inherit that life, and we can be content. We don't have to strive. We don't have to be the best. We don't have to have certain things to live a good life. Rather, we can be content and at peace, knowing that Jesus is on the throne, and we reign and rule with him as he brings the kingdom kingdom of heaven to our earth right now. Peace and contentment. Doesn't that sound good? We can have it in Christ right now. We can inherit that. And then someday, Jesus is going to say, okay, I'm ready to renew the earth. And he's going to bring heaven to us. And we get to rule and reign with him for eternity. We get to cultivate the land. We get to bring out these beautiful crops. And everything's going to be gorgeous. And we get to be a part of that with Jesus, with him for eternity. Just on a side note, I've heard a lot of people think they know when Jesus is coming back. Let me tell you, when you say you do, what you are saying is you know more than Jesus. Jesus goes, I don't know when my father, we're coming back. So just keep trusting him in the meantime. Can we stop going around and saying, I know when he's coming back. It's election day. Or it's this date because of this calculation and this. And I'm like, wait a minute. Jesus says he doesn't know. Who are we to know? But he says, in the meantime, I'll let you commit yourself to the Lord, trust in him, be patient. You don't have to worry and fear anymore because of that. Meekness, strength, power, but under his control. I want to end with something just that I heard yesterday. I said, I got to share this at, at the message. Yesterday, we, we gathered together with our elders and we prayed. And Pastor Charles brought this to us from Bob Goff, who was a former lawyer turned uh, Christian author, and he wrote this, and I wanted to share it with you. How do you truly live meekness in your everyday life? Well, we, we live like this. Here's what he says. Sometimes my clients have to be deposed, which means other lawyers ask them questions. It can feel intimidating being in a big room full of lawyers all staring at you. So my clients are deposed. I tell them all the same thing. Sit in the chair and answer the questions, but do it with your palms up the whole time. I tell them to literally have the backs of their hands on their knees and their palms towards the table, or the bottom of the table. I'm so serious about this that I threaten to kick them in the shins underneath the table if they don't have their palms up. You see, when their palms are up, they have an easier way of being calm and honest and accurate. Meekness. And this is important because it's harder for them to get defensive because when people get angry or defensive, they tend to make mistakes and nobody can be defensive with their palms up. He's like, no, literally try it. 
So would you just humor me and put your hands up and just place them on your legs and just hold your hands up. This is a literal and figurative display of meekness. He says, set your hands on your knees and put your palms towards the sky. He says, you can do the opposite too. Clench your fists. Would you do that for me? Just clench your fists. He said, most people could get angry at a grapefruit when their fists are clenched. Something about the hardwiring that God gave each of us links the position of our bodies and the position of our hearts. I'm not sure why we're wired this way, but I rarely have a client get frustrated or confused or tempered or exaggerate or lie when their palms are up. See, I learned this technique from Jesus, he says. I used to walk around with my fists clenched, defensive, afraid people are going to take advantage of me. There are so many evils in the world that caused me to clench my fists, but it was Jesus who taught me there was nothing I could really lose if I had him. That's meekness. He taught me to be palms up just like he was. Palms up means you have nothing to hide or nothing to gain or lose. That's meekness. Palms up means you are strong enough to be vulnerable even with your enemies. And he finishes with this. Even when you have been tremendously wrong, Jesus was palms up to the end. How did Jesus die? His palms were out and up to the God. Allowed himself to die, but he knew that in his death he would be raised up. Strength. Could have broke off that cross anytime. Under control. Instead, he gave himself to the Father. If you and I want to live meek lives, let's live with palms up, literally and figuratively, to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you live with your palms up from the moment you took your first breath until the moment you took your last on the cross. Your hands were open to others, open to your Father. You never clenched your fists in anger or to try to hold something because you knew all was God's. Lord, help us to live meek lives, humble lives, gentle lives, self-controlled lives, merciful lives. For we went, when we live this way, we live as, if you, as you lived and we die as, as you died as well. Thank you, Jesus, for that example for us. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great day.